This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we'll be visiting with Kat Warren. And Kat is an associate professor at North Carolina State University, where she teaches science, journalism, editing, and reporting. And Kat is also the author of a fascinating book, What the Dog Knows, The Science and Wonder of Working Dogs. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Kat Warren to the show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Kat Warren on the show today. Hello, Kat, and welcome. Hi, Marcy. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, we've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time. We're so glad that you could be with us because we want our listeners to learn all about your wonderful book, What the Dog Knows. Oh, I'm so glad. It was a fun project writing it, and um, I'm glad that people are reading it. Yeah, well, tell us, Kat, as a college professor, how in the world did you get into the mysterious world of working dogs? Well, kind of a wonderful thing about this book is that originally, Solo, this pup that we got, was going to be one of those lie under my desk when I work dogs. (laughs) And what he turned into was an energetic little monster where I had to figure out what I was going to do with him because of some of his behavior issues. But he did have this fabulous nose. And as a result of trying to figure out how to work with him properly, I landed on using him as a scent dog. So it really, it was a very accidental hobby that's become my avocation now. Well, so how did you do it? Because, you know, I love what you said about Solo had some issues that you needed to deal with, but you turned that into such a positive experience, not only for Solo, but for yourself. How did you do that, Kat? Who did you rely on? Who did you turn to to figure that out? You know, I think that people are lucky to have 
people in their lives who sort of come in them at the right moment. And it was really one of those things where Solo was a singleton pup, which means um, no litter mates. And for dogs, unlike with people, it can create real behavior issues because those early interactions with pups in the litter are so important to dog socialization. So I had a dog who was sort of emotionally stunted with other dogs. And um, he was dog aggressive, and even as a puppy. And so with high, high levels of energy. And so I turned to a trainer I'd met before with my prior shepherd. And she was the one who, she told me later, she was just trying to distract me, but she was the one who suggested that I train him as a cadaver dog, a dog who finds the missing and presumed dead. And that's what I did. And that's that's the short version of what I did. And, you know, there were lots of moments in the midst. And I think, Marcy, you've, I'm sure, had this experience with service dogs and training them where you get stuck or you don't have the experience and you have to go back and find people who come in and help you work with the dog. And at each spot along the road with Solo, I had really lovely experienced trainers who came in and helped me learn how to work with him. Yeah, that's so awesome. And so as a cadaver dog, what are the requirements for Solo to become a cadaver dog? Is there a certification process or what does that look like? There is, and it can be depending on the dog and the person, and it can be quite lengthy. Since this is the first time I'd had a working dog, I certified Solo when he was a little over two years old, and that meant having him undergo tests to show that he could do the job. And what you're doing is you're simply training the dog to recognize this particular scent and to tell you about it and to do so reliably. And that's kind of the easy part, right? And I think with anybody who trains dogs, they realize that sure dogs have great noses and they can recognize smells, but then you add in all the distractions that dogs have in the environment around them and the conditions they're working in. And in a way, you're also training the dog to say, okay, I want you to climb over rubble and find this particular scent. I want you to go out in really hot weather and ignore the heat and find this scent. So that training process for both him and for me was, you know, it took time and then it's, of course, always ongoing, right? You're always learning more and each case you do, each training you do kind of adds to that knowledge base. Yeah, well, I was just wondering about all the training that you had to do. I mean, how did you prepare yourself and what kind of training activities did you do in order to work with Solo for you to become this cadaver dog team? You know, I mean, I think that's so interesting. I think it's similar to but different than working with a service dog, right? That there is this issue that you have to be a team. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the dog's got a great nose and an ability to love this work. And then as a person, you know, my learning curve was learning how to maximize Solo's potential, right? So 
as a handler, being able to put him in the right spot to be able to find something if it's out there, right? To say, okay, if a police department calls me and says, somebody's missing, there's this area we'd like you to search. And I go to that area being able to set Solo up so that if there is something out there to find, he can find it. And that means making sure that I'm working, if possible, downwind from where that missing person might be, you know, or if it's a burial, knowing enough about, you know, groundwater and how scent moves. And so I still feel that I'm new. I've been doing this, I realized, now for for about 10 years. It's been a decade since I started working with Solo. But every time I work, for instance, with this new pup I'm training, I realize that there's so much more to know. Yeah. Well, I've been partnered with a service dog for over 20 years, and I'd say the same thing, Kat. <laughs> I still feel like a yep. newbie, even though it's been this long, but it is. It's so incredible, and, and I'm amazed every day that I'm with my service dogs. I, I always have been, and it is incredible. But, I mean, you just listed a lot of skills that you have in how you do set up the situation for Solo so that Solo can do what he does best. But I mean, that is definitely a high skill level that you have have attained. Well, you know, I have had some really good trainers. I've worked with really pretty wonderful law enforcement um, over the years. And, you know, I'm a volunteer. So, you know, I don't go out terribly frequently. And so when I do go out As I said, it's like thinking about it all over again. And and I think that this partnership that you have, whether it's with a law enforcement dog or with a service dog or a search and rescue dog, that partnership is tantamount of saying more than anything else, as often as possible, making it fun for the dog is so critical. That, yeah. that no matter what is they're doing, it has to be a game and they have to have a break every now and then, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, <laughs> I like, know, we I, don't I, do this I, always for ourselves. I but, know, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's it. I have to, you know, motivate Whistle to pick up my lipstick, you know, for the 50th time when I drop it, you know. So it's, yeah. it's so true. And I really thought it was so interesting in the book how you talk about how it is a game and how it is something fun when it's related to death, when it yeah. is something that's so yeah. tragic, and yet yeah. it's something so awesome for Solo. And it's awesome, too, for the family involved or for law enforcement, you know, for all of the, the others who are touched by this. But I thought that was really, really cool how you talked about that in the book. And maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about that. You know, I think it's really hard for us as human beings to realize that dogs don't necessarily associate a certain smell with death, with tragedy, right? And we are so, as humans, accustomed to thinking about that. And I think even with 9-11 and other tragedies, the question I often get is, you know, doesn't the dog get depressed? And properly trained dogs don't get depressed because for them, it's just a smell associated with a game, 
right? And so part of mm-hmm. what we do as humans is we always load on all of these emotions onto dogs and, you know, and does a dog, when it sniffs a dead squirrel, go, oh my God, that squirrel must have died in tragic tragic circumstances being run over by a car. I don't actually know a single dog where, not that I can read their minds, right? And I think that what we need to realize is that their, a cadaver dog's job is, is pretty straightforward. Our jobs as humans are to help provide answers, as you said, for family, for law enforcement. Our job is to mourn the dead. My job when I'm working solo somewhere is to make sure that he's having a really good time. And if I have any emotions associated with that case, that I absolutely set them aside. You know, just I'm not comparing myself to a surgeon, but surgeons don't go in to the operating room thinking of anything other than sort of the job ahead of them, right? And setting and aside some of those feelings. Yes. <laughs> yes. You don't, you don't want them that's to be the ideal. Yes. Yes. Well, it's so true. And, and I think that brings it all back to it's a job, you know, and that is the professional, you know, just like the professional surgeon is the professional cadaver dog as well, that they're very focused on the job at hand and they love it. Just like we hope the surgeon loves their job and is passionate, as passionate about that as, as the doctor. Dogs are rolling around yeah. on all kinds of things that may not be so nice to think about. <laughs> yeah, now, and yeah. I don't suppose that surgeons love tug toys quite as much as <laughs> my dogs love their tug toys as a reward, but surgeons have other rewards. But I do, I mean, it's a terrible analogy, but I do think that there's something that's really important that people sort of realize that a dog going in to find marijuana versus finding somebody who is lost versus finding somebody who is deceased, that a well-trained dog is not going to make fine-grained emotional distinctions between those smells, right? They're going to say, my job is to find this and tell you about it, and then I'm going to be really happy if you reward me for that. Exactly. You made an interesting point that I want to touch on before we take a quick break, and that is about telling you about that scent reliably. So hold that thought, and we're going to take a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors, and then we'll come right back and continue visiting with Cat Warren. So come right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com.
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And today we are visiting with professor and author Kat Warren. And Kat was talking with us before the break. And we were just mentioning the whole concept of reliability. And Kat, that was something I wanted to ask you about because you said that cadaver dogs have to detect a scent and then they have to tell you as the handler that they have detected the scent and they have to do it reliably. How do you work with a dog to make sure that that it does that reliably instead of just trying to tell you it's something so they can get a treat or a toy or whatever they want? Yeah, I think that's such, it's such a marvelous question and such a complicated one. And it's one that I think (laughs) people who work with working dogs struggle with daily. And that is, is that um, we've evolved with these marvelous creatures, right? We've co-evolved and they love us and we love them. And they very often want to please us. And sometimes that means that they're capable of lying, right? It's called the clever Hans effect, right? This is this is where this is the horse at the turn of the century that could do these marvelous math problems and his owner was actually deluded into thinking that the horse was actually doing complicated math problems when the horse was actually picking up on the owner's subconscious cues and even the audience's subconscious cues to get the right answer. And so with Working dogs, it's especially important if you think about law enforcement dogs or cadaver dogs that they don't lie. For instance, if a dog is too tuned into a handler and wants his reward to say, oh, I smell something in this trunk and I'm going to just, you know, sit and tell you there's something in this trunk. Well, that can end up being evidence in a court case, right? So what you're doing all the time is you're trying to give the dog an increasingly complicated problems and you're also increasingly trying to work where you don't know where training material is planted, right? Because we are so good with really unconscious body movements and everything else into signaling the dog that there's something there. So good trainers and good handlers work as much as possible as the dog gets more experience with with problems where they don't know whether there is training material out there or sometimes that there's no training material at all, right? Because nine times out of 10, when you go out on searches, you don't find anything. You're clearing areas, right? Because mm-hmm. for complicated cases, that's very often the case that the police are looking in a number of different areas. So it's so important that the dog be accustomed to going out on a search and not finding anything, right? And that's still being okay. So that's a long answer, and it's an interesting and complicated question of how you build independence into the dog. 
Yeah, and confidence. I know because I have to work on that, you know, with Whistle as well because he will, I always laugh because, but I have to watch it. I can't let him see me laughing because then it just, as you said, he follows my cues and then he'll do it even more. But he will start going through his whole repertoire of his commands when he wants a favorite treat. And I mean, <laughs> he'll start picking up everything he can see. He'll be wanting to like help me out of my wheelchair even though I don't want to get out of my wheelchair. You know, <laughs> but, but it's because he, he really wants a treat. So he's like, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do? I'll do this. I'll do this. It's, you know, exactly. it's this notion of offering yeah. off when dogs offer behaviors, exactly. right? And it's like, exactly. if I do this, would you? Yes. And that's, exactly. that's and and it's really cute? related. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's so interesting. I, I really wondered about that. And, and I also was wondering, how long is a working session for Solo when you do go out and you're clearing, for example? How long is a healthy time to work Solo before he needs to take a break? You know, it's so, that's such a good question, too. It so depends on the area you're searching, the conditions, the temperature, the humidity, right? A dog that's using yeah. His- or her nose can hyperventilate because that's what they're doing. And in temperatures like we have in North Carolina, you know, 15 minutes in 90-degree weather, right, can really push a dog's core body temperature up. And it's also the thing that when they're panting hard, they're not able to pull scent over those areas of their nose that are the best for distinguishing scent, right? So it's like it's pointless to take a heavily panting dog out into an area to search because he can't do his job. So it depends. And if I look at my training records and my in my search records, I see times when I've gone out in the winter where I've worked for, say, 27 minutes to clear an area. And I, you know, and then put them in the car, let them rest take them back out. In the heat of summer, it needs to be less time, right? And mm-hmm. you have to pay yeah. attention. And every dog is different, right? Different mm-hmm. dogs have different ways of expending energy. We all know the dog that goes out into the yard and runs around in frantic circles and, you know, is panting after three minutes versus a dog who takes things a little easier and is a little more efficient because he's not sort of self-winding, Right, right. <laughs> right. Right. And I, I loved um, also in the book how you talked about locating unmarked graves of Civil War soldiers. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, that is such fascinating work. And I really, um, yeah. my little pup, Coda, has such a fantastic nose. And she's she's kind of precise and persnickety about finding scent as faint as it is. And what people are finding across the country, although it can be hard to verify, but in cases where they've been able to verify, is that dogs are finding unmarked graves that are sometimes hundreds of years old. And it's not fully known yet what the volatiles all are that could still be coming off. Because if you think about it, what happens is the dog is not smelling the dirt, right? The dog is smelling whatever can come up into the air, right? Everything that, you know, it's like when you heat a stew and and you can smell the stew cooking. So mm-hmm. in ancient grave cases, you have very, very, very faint, faint volatiles coming off. 
But dogs are able to help narrow the areas. And I love, love, love watching dogs work old grave sites because of where they throw their heads, where scent's coming out and where it's going. And it's, um, it's kind of beautiful. And it's kind of beautiful partly because it's not tragic at that point, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. think about the history mm-hmm. and it can make us feel sad, but the fact is, is that and when we're talking about sites that are a couple hundred years old, it can be poignant and it can be evocative, but we're no longer, it's a different feeling. And I know a lot of people who have worked criminal cases and who also work more ancient sites, and I love what they say about it, which is to say that the more archaeological work is such fun because the history, but also because it's just not as loaded as you can imagine in working homicides. Yeah. Well, I know because I remember reading in the book where you said you like to watch a good dog work scent. And I I was thinking about that. I loved those words. And I was thinking about that. And and it is, I can imagine it must be like watching an artist, as you said, as they move their heads, as their body moves toward or away from something. It, It must be incredible to have that experience, to get to see them in their element and, and doing that yeah. work. I do love watching it. And the fact is, is every dog works a little differently, right? And so you have that, I mean, <laughs> as you say, like an artist, right? There's incredible variation in how dogs use their bodies and what their body language is like for working scent. And, you know, my new pup, Coda, is very, very different than Solo. Solo was big, all-out galumph, right? Working fast, <laughs> flipping around. Coda is much more sinuous and she's more like a large cat, right? She looks more like a panther and she works more slowly than he does, which is fine. You know, you don't have to like rip out of the box. It doesn't have to be that way. So it's so fun to watch her and she's a little more oblique than he is. But I can still now start to read her when she's in scent and the way she defines, you know, scent makes, if you imagine, an ice cream cone with the scent at the tip and then coming up like a waffle cone, right? Um, Uh That's what happens where the, the source is, but then the scent goes and spreads out. And it's a dog's job to sort of define where the outer edges of of that are. And it really is, it's like paint by numbers where you can see a picture emerging if you know a dog well enough, right? Yeah, so incredible. Well, and is Coda, is she still in training or are you now working her? She is in training and um, she takes little pieces of my hide from me every day. She's just <laughs> you know, I thought Solo was difficult. Seriously, I do have second dog syndrome with her where I'm going, how is she ever going to end up, right? But what was funny is that I can now see the progress. And I think that I hope that by late fall, I will have her certified and out working. I'm starting to have great hopes that she and I will end up being a team. But, you yeah. know, you do have to have that. I mean, I know that yes. you know more than anybody because your your life really depends on it. Absolutely, uh, it does. <laughs> yes, they have to have those capabilities. It has to be a solid, strong partnership. And you have to, that gets back to that reliability. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that another thing that people don't know with working dogs or service dogs, and I think that they do need to know this, 
in, and I'm sure that you've talked about it on your show as well, is that dogs are never perfect, right? Like people, they right. have their days, <laughs> right? And of so course. when we talk and about yes. and their attitudes <laughs> and what they bring, yes. and so when we talk about reliability, we're never talking about like 100% perfection every single day, every single time. What you're talking about is being able to say, this dog really adds something that you can't get any other way. And I think that for scent dogs, I think that they can do things that people can't. I think they just are absolutely able to do that and that that it's important for people to realize that it's really hard work both to train a dog and for the dog to go out and do the work and that there's going to be times when the dog's not going to do it perfectly and you have to be able to recognize that as well. Yes, yes. I know, and I, I have shared this on the show before, that when I got my first service dog, the trainers gave us some excellent guidance, and the first day of the class, they said, we are not giving you a robot. We are giving you a living breathing animal that exactly like you said is going to have good days and bad days and and will be motivated and unmotivated and it's your job to bring out the best in them and to motivate them to do this work with you that was the best thing because I I was like wow that's right it is not a robot and it's not perfect nothing is perfect but I I also think that these dogs and, and as I think you noted in your book they are better than machines. (laughs) And that's certainly how I feel. It's way better than any adaptive equipment I could ever have because of their Mm -hmm. abilities. And with the scent and the work that you do with yours, you prove that time and time again. It's just incredible. Well, I think, you know, um, and I know that we have to wrap up, but this issue about robots, and it always makes me laugh, is that the fact is, is that there's all these efforts to replace dogs with machines. And I really was laughing because um, scientists were working on a little thing that will um, replace bees and the job that bees do in pollinating. And it's like we're in bee crisis. And instead of thinking about how to maintain the bees in their habitat, of course, there are people out working on little bee robots. <laughs> the fact is, is that dogs and bees are partly so wonderful because of their flexibility and adaptability as well, right? Is yes. that yes. that ultimately machines can't do some of these things because they don't adapt. Right, right. right. You can't replace them. Yeah, you just can't. Yes, and it's just, you know, and besides, it's just so much more fun working with the dog. Know. Well, you that's know? what I was going to say, and they're so much cuter. And it, it, they're they just really so are. Much. <laughs> yeah, I certainly, I've said this time and time again, I, I would not be able to do the things that I do every day without Whistle and my dogs before Whistle. And I'm sure that you would join me in saying that for the work that you do and the impact that you have made on so many by your work and like we said with law enforcement and and family members and it's just wonderful Kat thank you so much for the work you're doing and for being with us today and I sure hope you'll come back because we want to hear more about Coda and how she does with her new her new career and how that works out for you guys so please promise you'll come back Oh, well, thank you. I'd be delighted to. And also just um, thank you for the work that you do getting all this information out about service dogs and what they do. Because, again, I think that there is 
so much more capacity and need for good training and service dog and dogs in people's lives. And and I think that people don't again don't realize what the need is and what the needs for training are and yet it's out there. My mom was in a wheelchair my entire life and it was in an era prior to service dogs being common and you know her life would have been much better yes with a service dog there's just no doubt in my mind so yes and like you said there just aren't enough puppy raisers I know I am in the process of whistle will be retiring this year and it's just so I'm sorry <laughs> Me too. It's so alarming at the number of people with disabilities that need service dogs and the few puppy raisers that are out there. And so I always am encouraging people if they can find it in their hearts and their schedules to commit to training a puppy because there just aren't enough dogs for all of the yeah. people that could be that their lives could be changed with having that canine partner. So so thank you for saying that. And one quick question before we go, and that is, how can our listeners get a copy of your book? Oh, well, it's everywhere on indie bookstores, on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and I have a website, catwarren.com, that's got lots of links. And then in the spring, I'm happy to say it's going to be coming out in paperback, and I have a final chapter on CODA. (laughs) <laughs> in that paperback. Yes. Um, so people can find it at catwarren.com or just in any any store or, as I said, on some of the major book ordering sites. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll make sure and have that on um, your page, on your webpage on our show. We'll have catwarren.com listed so that our listeners can make sure and find that because I know that... Oh. They will enjoy it as much as I did. And that's what the dog knows, which is just wonderful. So thank you so much, Kat. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. We really appreciate you joining us. And we love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming. And you can always reach um, Whistle and myself at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also find us at WorkingLikeDogs.com. So thanks so much for being with us. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.